Det här är ett poddradioprogram från Radio AF. Hitta alla våra program på radioaf.se. Someone will remember as I say, even in another time. Welcome to Someone Will Remember As I Say, Even Another Time. I'm Edmund Falby, and today we are talking about Mwanga II, who ruled Buganda in uh, pre-colonial Uganda around the turn of the century, and the Obi murder, and a discussion about how gender is a social construct. I've had a lot of fun researching this because it's very interesting, and I hope you will find listening to this just as enjoyable. So, disclaimers first. Obviously, my pronunciation will be awful. Um, I've tried to look up how to pronounce names and places, but I will probably not get it right all the time. So, I'm so, so sorry. I'm not doing it out of disrespect. Also, my main sources are all Western and they contain very few first-hand accounts. So, there's, there's that. But with that out of the way, let's get into today's topic. In this country, to come out and say yes, I'm gay, it's not easy. 95% of the population does not support homosexuality. The anti-homosexuality bill proposes life imprisonment and death for aggravated homosexuality. On the 24th of February 2014, Ugandan President Yuwari Museveni signed the Anti-Homosexuality Act. At first, it was proposed that so-called aggravated homosexuality would be punishable by death, but it was reduced later to life imprisonment. The Act also enhanced punishments for other kinds of same-sex relations and criminalised so-called promotion of homosexuality. The idea behind the Anti-Homosexuality Act is that homosexuality is unnatural and African and fundamentally the result of Western and or Arabic influence. However, this is a blatant lie. According to the excellent book Boy Wives and Female Husbands, Studies in African Homosexualities by Stephen O. Murray and Will Roscoe, the colonialists did not introduce homosexuality to Africa, but rather intolerance of it and systems of surveillance and regulation for suppressing it. This is absolutely true when it comes to Uganda. Same-sex relationships and gender identities divergent from the modern Western gender binary were prevalent all throughout Uganda's history. As in all countries, different cultures and traditions within Uganda viewed these practices and people in different ways, of course. It is important here to emphasize that Uganda wasn't and isn't one homogenous culture. What we are talking about today took place in Buganda, which is the largest part of Uganda. However, in other parts of Uganda, you find other accounts of people that we would today call LGBTQ or Kuchu. Kuchu is the word used in Uganda by LGBTQ people to describe themselves. One account of historic Kuchu people come from the Teso people in northeastern Uganda. Here, not two, but three genders were acknowledged. The third gender was called Mudokodako. 
these people were assigned male at birth, but lived as women and were regarded as female, or at least as non-male. They dressed as women, shaved their heads like women did, took female names, and did women's work. They could even marry men. What I've been researching, though, takes place in Buganda. Buganda is the largest part of Uganda. The capital of Uganda, Kampala, lies in Buganda. And the Ganda people, as the people of Buganda are called, is the largest ethnic group in Uganda. In fact, Uganda is the Swahili term for Buganda, which the British adopted when they colonized the country. Buganda was unified during the 14th century and stayed free until 1894, when the state became the center of the Uganda Protectorate under British rule. Uganda gained independence again in 1962, and today Buganda has some degree of autonomy from the rest of Uganda and is seen as a subnational kingdom. The monarch of Buganda is called Kabaka, and in 1884, 16-year-old Mwanga II became the 31st Kabaka of Buganda. He was born in 1868 to Matisa I of Buganda and his 10th wife, that is, his 10th wife out of 85 or 87. Mwanga himself had 16 wives and 10 children. He also had relationships with several of his male subordinates at court. Now, it is very difficult to find reliable sources on Mwanga, but the consensus seemed to be that he was openly gay. He mightn't have identified as gay himself, but this is how he's often talked about today. This is how he's remembered. And I will discuss this more later, so if you have any questions or objections, just hold tight. Matisse I had, during his reign, quite successfully played out the different religious and political groups against each other, and therefore maintained his own position. Both Muslim, Protestant and Catholic groups thought that Kabaka was in favour of their particular religion, which meant that they were very happy to negotiate with him. Nonetheless, the country's son, inherited in 1884, was rife with tensions. Both European and Middle Eastern countries were looking for ways to expand their influence in Buganda, and Mwanga II wasn't quite as skilled as his father at manipulating them. He was a little bit too aggressive, for one thing. There's been a lot of speculation about the cause of what Mwanga did in 1886 at the age of 18. He ordered the execution of about 30 pages. They were Christian, and it might have been for religious reasons that they were executed. They were recent converts, and they might have refused to give up their faith, even though Mwanga felt threatened by the worship of Jesus. It might also have been because of political reasons. Buganda was torn between many different religious groups, backed by colonial powers wanting to get their hands on Buganda through the influence of religion. And finally, it might have been because of sexual reasons. The legend has it that Mwanga's favourite page refused to continue their relationship because he had converted to Christianity and now believed that same-sex relationships were sinful. Another version of the legend is that all the pages refused his sexual advances due to advice from their leaders. This wasn't just disappointing for the Kabaka, it was also humiliating. And it might have been motivated by religion, politics, sex, or a combination of the three. Either way, violence was already prevalent at the court, and it was not unusual for the Kabaka to punish disloyalty quite severely. Whatever the reasons, the result was that Mwanga executed about 30 Christian pages in 1886. 22 of them were burned alive, and later they became martyrs of the Catholic Church. 
Today their shrine is a pilgrimage, and on the 3rd of June their death is commemorated by approximately one million pilgrims every year. I read an article by Rahul Rao called Remembering Muanga, Same-Sex Intimacy, Memory and Belonging in Postcolonial Uganda, in which he discusses how the ideas about homosexuality as something foreign in an African can still exist side by side with a continued celebration of the Christian pages standing up against same-sex attraction. And it's a really interesting read. He emphasizes the danger of reading practices surrounding gender and sexuality in 19th century Buganda through a Western lens. Because it seems like gender was constructed quite differently than the Western binary system with the genders man and woman as the only options. In Buganda, outside of court, people mainly adhered to the gender binary, seeing themselves as either man or woman. But there were people who fell outside of these categories, and they were considered a distinct third gender. In court, the ideas about gender were highly ritualized and detailed. The Kabaka had several Bakopi, who were seen as female, regardless of what their bodies looked like, and the pages belonged to the Bakopi. They were technically his wives, though... I'm not sure exactly in what capacity they were his wives, seeing as he did have 16 actual wives whom he was legally married to. So I think they were wives in a more metaphorical sense. There were also Balangira, translated as prince, and Bambea, translated as princess. And both of these gender categories were more or less regarded as male, and they could hold positions of power and marry Bakobi. Bambea were referred to as sir, and they did not have children. So what Christian, mainly white, eyewitness sources describe as same-sex relationships going on at the court were probably relationships between male Bangura, Bambeya, or the Kabaka, and the female Bakubi. So it was probably not that big of a deal. It was sort of straight. I mean, <laughs> it's a weird way to use that word, but... but but yet, technically, it wasn't same-sex relationships. It was actually different genders. So, um, I, I'm i saying this because, I mean, it's super interesting to talk about gender and how it's constructed and upheld. And because I want to acknowledge that Moenga probably didn't see himself as an LGBTQ person, but simply as a leader who could have sex with anyone below his own rank, seeing as he was more male, more powerful than anyone. And as I've understood it, the Kucha activists in Uganda both identify with Moanga to a certain degree, as he's an important proof homosexuality isn't imported, but has always existed in Uganda. And actually with the martyrs, since they stood up to an unfair government demanding to control their bodies and their sexuality. I'm completely relying on secondary sources here though, so don't quote me on that. Because of the mass execution of the Christian pages and Mwanga's resistance against the colonial powers waiting to swallow Uganda, the British decided to support a rebellion by Christian and Muslim groups who wanted to see Mwanga's brother in power. They succeeded in overthrowing Mwanga in 1888, and Kiwiwa, Mwanga's brother, was made Kavaga. After a month, he was replaced by Kalima, another brother. While one brother succeeded another, Mwanga started negotiating with the British. He promised to give up some of the country's sovereignty, and in return, the British made sure Kalima was removed from the throne. Mwanga became Kabaka again in 1889. 
1894 Buganda became a British protectorate, but in 1897 Mwanga declared war on Great Britain. He was defeated and put in prison, but he escaped and started a rebellion. After being captured once again, he fled to the Seychelles, where he lived out his last years. He converted to Christianity, taking the name Daniel, and died in 1903. Homosexuality was declared illegal in 1902 in Uganda, eight years after losing independence to the British, and a year before Mwanga died. In 2014, the anti-homosexuality bill was passed, as I said at the top. At first, the idea was to put a death penalty on same-sex acts, but it was reduced to life imprisonment due to pressure from <laughs> the same Western world that brought homophobia in the first place. I don't mean to sound bitter about it, and I do genuinely think it's great that the rest of the world stepped in, and it's great that the death penalty wasn't made a reality, but keep in mind that the colonizers were the ones who brought homophobia in the first place. In fact, this isn't just true about the turn of the century with Muanga. American, American evangelicals are in part guilty for the 2014 anti-homosexuality bill. Uh, that could be uh, another whole episode, but to sum it up, evangelical Christians, mainly from the US, who were tired of how LGBTQ people gained more and more rights in the Western world, went to the more underdeveloped and thus more natural Uganda. They collaborated with local preachers to construct an idea about homosexuality being unnatural, sinful, and linked to pedophilia and the destruction of society. There's a film about it called God Loves Uganda, which I have in fact not seen due to being a student who cannot afford more than one online streaming service at the time. And this streaming service did not have God Loves Uganda. And since I'm a law-abiding citizen, I did not watch it illegally. It's supposed to be really good though, so I, I recommend it. It goes in depth on how Western influences help shape modern homophobia in Uganda and I will watch it as soon as I get my tiny trans hands on it. Here's a clip from that film. Something frightening is happening in Uganda. I foresee a lot of death. We are called to be a missionary people. I believe the Lord is calling me to, to pray for a great missionary force. America's not yet done sending her sons and daughters to bring the gospel to the nations. If you want to learn more about Mwanga, I can recommend the article I mentioned earlier in the podcast, Remembering Mwanga by Rahul Rao. You can find more about LGBTQ history in Uganda or Africa in general in Boy Wives and Female Husbands by Murray and Roscoe. I describe it as a collection of accounts of homosexuality and transgender identities throughout African history, and it's in no way a full recollection of LGBTQ history in Africa, because Africa is a continent, and a book detailing all of Africa's LGBTQ history would probably like 1,000 pages long, uh, but rather, the aim of the book is to highlight just this fact that how LGBTQ people and practices have been viewed has varied a lot between different ethnic groups and cultures, but that LGBTQ people have existed in Africa long before colonial times. So the book kind of dips into different aspects of African LGBTQ history. Uh, Ugandan history is not covered in depth. It's 
not given its own chapter, but there's a couple of pages on it which I've used in addition to other sources, and it's a great book. I really recommend reading all of it. I've I've learned a lot, and you're going to hear me quote it again in later episodes. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe and review wherever you listen to your podcast. Tell your friends if you think they'd be interested and follow the podcast on social media. Do you have any questions or comments? Please write me at someonewillrememberus at gmail.com. That's someonewillrememberus with a dot between each word. And finally, and most importantly, someone will remember us, I say, even another time. Du har lyssnat på ett poddradioprogram från Radio AF. Hitta alla våra program på radioaf.se.